Hello and welcome to the Now Spinning Magazine podcast with me, Phil Aston. And on this episode, I'm absolutely delighted to have with me Dave Kilminster, guitarist extraordinaire who's worked with Stephen Wilson, currently in the Roger Waters band, and also Keith Emerson and lots of other people as well, and a solo artist uh, as well. So welcome, Dave. Thank you very much. And I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to talk to you about the the new Keith Emerson box set variations, which is an, an an immense um, project with about 20 CDs in it. Yes. Um, so enough for any fan of, of the great man to, to indulge into for, for a long time to come. But to get some context for my listeners and viewers, I wanted to just go back in time a little bit. And because I, I talked to a lot of guitarists, but you started actually on piano, didn't you? You didn't start. Did, yes. uh, yeah. What kind of so your early piano training and info, what effect did that have on on becoming guitar, a guitar player? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I never had any training on piano or or guitar actually. Um, right. I just liked the sound of um, interesting music, I guess. Which um, gets. Uh, guitar playing for me can be a little. Um, I mean, you you'll hear certain licks or certain phrases that they live on guitar. People play them all the time. Violinists wouldn't play it. Um, saxophonists would never play it. Pianists would never play them. But they're very specifically guitar. Yeah, guitar licks. And I never, I never had any interest in in guitar licks as such. I just wanted to play music. Um, I was uh, brought up on. Ooh, a, a huge random assortment of nonsense um uh, but it, it would include um, a lot of classical music as well interesting um, and um my two uncles also played piano so um i would l- enjoy listening to them um in fact we we'd visit my grandmother every saturday and I would go into the uh, into the front room where the piano was, and my uncle Tony was usually playing there. So I'd just sit on the sofa, usually fall asleep, just listening to him playing uh, Debussy or 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 attempting some of the uh, the more interesting uh, Keith Emerson parts. <laughs> so um, I guess so. When I when I started playing guitar, I, I only picked up the guitar because we didn't have a piano at home, and I just found it infinitely frustrating. I needed to play. You know, when it when it's a new instrument, you need to play all the time, yeah, every yeah. day. Um, and we we didn't have one, so I would play a little bit at school and then a little bit on the Saturday. Um, so I thought I'm just going to get a guitar, just you know, just for the just for the time being, just so I can try and um, get some of the sounds in my head, yeah, out into the uh, out into the ether. So. But the sounds in my head were not, you know, not particularly guitar based, I guess. So um, I tended to work on a lot of um, different techniques just to, to try and replicate the music that I could hear. Because you mentioned just that you were also listening to a lot of classical music, which again differentiates you from many rock or prog players in some respects yeah. um because a lot of people say oh they're influenced by zeppelin or sabbath which i know those bands obviously came into your um orbit later on but the it classical is. music side yeah must have also given you roots into a wider palette yeah to play with i, I feel i feel that yeah for sure 
Um, I'd started developing weird techniques involving both hands on the neck so I could play these more pianistic runs, yeah. I guess. Because um, I, I was just not happy playing, you know. God, I, I don't want to mention anybody without it sounding bad. Um, but just, well, yeah, just not interested in playing guitar, stock guitar licks that everyone plays. So it was just, yeah. uh, I had no interest in that at all. Um, you, you mentioned there just about having both hands over the neck and as a pianoistic kind of approach. But uh, the, the question that's just come to me is that you actually started off being left-handed uh, until a, a go-kart accident. I mean, yes. so this makes... I mean, that in itself is amazing, but becoming almost ambidextrous, you had the power in both hands, whereas most guitarists are obviously one or the other. Did you think that also gave you the strength and the the kind of vision to I see think what it, you could do? Yeah, I think it helped. I mean, I, I started off left-handed because that felt the most natural. Um, yeah. But it, if you think about it, um, if you play guitar right-handed, then the left hand is the one that's doing all the work. You know, the left hand is the one that's that's having to create the notes on the neck to, to do the hammer-ons and pull-offs and whatever. Yeah. Um, and there's quite a few guitarists that um, are left-handed but play right-handed. Um, I think Gary Moore, um, Mark Knopfler seems springs to mind. There's a, there's a whole, um, a whole bunch of left-handed guitarists. You could probably look it up. I'm sure there's a... <laughs> There's a website somewhere, but um, it seemed to make sense later on. It made sense that, um, um, I mean, I didn't want to swap because learning guitar um, is is a pain. So obviously learning it twice is just, it's twice as bad. And it was it was even more frustrating because I could kind of see what I wanted my fingers to do because I'd, I'd got my fingers, my fingers, my right hand to do that before. Um, so it was kind of a mirror image. Yeah, I was trying to do on the other hand. So, but it was like, come on, why are you not? Why are you not working? Um, yeah, it was just a very, very frustrating time. But I guess um, for the the two handed thing that I do on the neck sometimes when I'm when I'm allowed to. Obviously, not in my current job, but uh, no. when I ha- when I have fun, when I do that kind of thing, and it's uh, yeah, it's, it makes sense. It makes sense to me. It feels more like um, playing piano, I guess. And uh, you mentioned again uh, just that uh, whereas a lot of guitarists will will mention their influences will be like, and they'll reel off lots of, you know, obvious guitar names, uh, which is great. But your influences were more musical rather than rather than musician specific, weren't they? It was a yes. whole, so yeah. like uh, bands like Queen, for instance, you like the, the whole gambit of a band. Exactly. Song. I just wanted to be in a band. That's all I've ever wanted. I wasn't interested in being a, a solo artist or even a guitarist particularly. I was just, I just wanted to play music with people that I liked. Um, and it's, uh, it's been a struggle. <laughs> but I, you know, I've, I have been very lucky to, um, to play with certain, certain individuals. Um, um, but yeah, what I've really, what I always wanted was to, you know, to have a bunch of sort of school friends or whatever and then grow up together and play together and ha- have a career that way. And obviously that's um, that's not possible anymore, but um, that, that was always my dream, just to play music, just to play music with a bunch of people. And all my favourite guitarists, um, I guess, are sort of more 
band band players like Brian May for instance yeah yeah, yeah. like Brian May like like Jimmy Page I mean I know a lot of the emphasis was on Jimmy Page but also the the whole the whole unit which uh, you know it's it's a very unique specific thing there's not many good bands I guess to well, what what I mean by that is to have three four musicians in a studio all playing together and they create something which is bigger than the, the sound of those four people playing is almost an extra thing that happens I guess and, because because of that approach um correct me if I'm wrong but because you saw things as you influenced by the by a musical uh, the name of a band you obviously mm-hmm. then always saw the guitar as part of that story not like a separate entity where yes. some guitarists will think oh this guitar solo in this track or whatever but you, yes. you've always seen it as an integral part of the the whole message of that the magic of that song yes exactly yes i'm not i'm not going to buy a song just for the guitar solo <laughs> it's a rubbish song and i'm not interested <laughs> Well, yeah. coming on, coming on to to Keith Emerson, which I think you were involved with Keith from about two thousand two to two thousand and five. Um, mm-hmm. You got it must have been um, like a dream come true with your classical background. You're into progressive music. You're playing guitar, and and I've watched um, I've watched the, some of the live at Glasgow live concert from two thousand and two. Um, well, what was it like playing songs like Tarkus? Were you aware of songs like that? Before being with Keith, yes, I was. My my uncles, um, especially Uncle Tony and Uncle Pete, were uh, responsible for playing early ELP songs to me when I was when I was very small. I guess eleven, twelve, maybe. I'm not sure. Wow! In fact, my first musical memory is them playing me "Lucky Man," and they were just going, "Wow!" Just wait, wait for the guitar, uh, wait for the guitar solo, wait for the keyboard solo at the end, the the Moog. Yeah. Oh my God. This is amazing. This is just mind blowing stuff. And, you know, being a fan of piano playing, when I heard Keith play piano as well, I was just, this is, this is perfect. This is just, I, I want to be Keith Emerson. This is, this is what I want to do. So how did you, how did that happen? How did you get in touch with Keith or how did Keith find you? Um, completely by accident. Um, I was playing in a band called Quango at the time with uh, John Wetton, who was on uh, vocals and bass. Um, Cole Palmer was on drums. Wow. And John Young was on keyboards. Oh, from Life Signs, yeah. Exactly, yes. Yeah. Um, and so we played a, a whole mix of some Asia tunes, uh, some of John's solo tunes, um, but also some ELP tunes as well because of Carl. And because there's not much in the way of guitar playing on on the ELP stuff, I, w- I was no. doubling a lot of the keyboard lines, doubling or harmonizing or just coming up with different, you know, different variations. And we were playing at, uh, I don't know if you remember this place, it was a place called the Astoria 2. I do. Um, if you didn't sell out the Astoria, they put you downstairs in the basement, which, <laughs> which they then called the Astoria 2. So we were playing there, and it was actually a great show. Um, and what we didn't realise at the time was uh, Keith was in the audience. Wow! Keith had just popped along to, to say hi to his friend Carl. So, uh, um, so we finished the set, 
And I'm walking down the steps off the stage, and it's quite dark, but I can see this figure waiting at the bottom of the steps. And um, he's just got his arms outstretched, like the uh, sort of like Christ the Redeemer um, statue in Brazil. (laughs) And I thought, oh my God, this, I I, I really, it, it was. It was freaking me out. That was Keith Emerson. So I got to the bottom of the stairs and he came up and he gave me this huge hug. And he said, oh, that, man, that was amazing. I've never heard anyone play my keyboard parts on guitar before. Oh, wow. um, can, can I get up and jam? I'm like, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we went back on for the encore and Keith joined us for, uh, I think we played Fanfare. And, um, I don't remember much other than just standing on stage with this kind of goofy grin on my face. Wow. So this is just... And the, the, my two uncles who had introduced me to ELP, um, they were there in the audience that night as well. So it was just, this is just one of those perfect moments that will never happen again. So... Um, oh, it so. must have been great going home with you and saying, your uncles, you must have just talked about nothing but... Have yeah, we, is this really happened? Yeah, yeah. I mean, even the fact that I went back home on a tube was <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't dull the effect. Um, yeah, so um, and strangely, I had a um, phone call from John Wen the next morning, just saying, "Oh, I've just got off the phone with Keith. Um, he wants to join. He wants to join the band. What do you think?" And I'm like, "Um." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, unfortunately, that yeah, never could happened. work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, it never happens. But um, so anyway, it was a, it was a year or so later, and I was talking to to a friend of mine who works for um, Korg, just telling him the same story, and I, you know, just saying that I wish that I could write to Keith, tell him how much that meant to me. That that. Uh, that moment you know yeah, it, was, it was just a huge deal and he said well we've, we've got his email address if you want to write to him so I'm like, okay um so i wrote, wrote him an email never expecting to hear back obviously mm-hmm. um it felt like about 10 minutes later he, he wrote back from la just saying oh yeah i remember you um what's your vocals like do you want to do you want to get a band together i'm like okay this is just this is very surreal now. Um, yeah, just utterly, utterly mind blowing. So, um, as I said, he was in LA at the time. He said, "Oh, I'm going to be in, going to be in London um, in like two or three months' time. Let's get together." So, um, we got together in London, had sushi, had a chat, and, and formed a band. That was it, really. Uh, so that means that, in many ways, you were the catalyst and the spark that got him back into the idea of. Going back on the road, then. Yes. Yeah. 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 He, he always blamed me for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, uh, amazing. Yeah, and you know, he was. He said to me, he said, "Oh, we, we're going to need a bass player and drummer, obviously. Um, can you can you uh, arrange that?" And I said, "Yeah, sure. Do, you know, do, do they need to be names? You know, name players or, or whatever?" And he said, "No, just make sure they're nice people." And I thought, okay, I love this man. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, I don't know, I felt a real 
connection with Keith right from the first time I, I met him. Um, I thought he's just as soppy as me, really. Um, you know, but in a in a in a good way. Um, you just want to play with people that you like and you enjoy their company. So um, I contacted my friends uh, Pete Riley and Phil Williams, um, drums and bass respectively, um, who I knew from two different situations. Yeah. Um, and we got together, and it was it was kind of amazing. Really, I mean, there was a lot of stuff to learn. Yeah, it must have been a great. It must have been amazing for your two colleagues, though, to actually say, "Would you, do you fancy being in a band with me and Keith Emerson?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember Phil. It's because um, it's, it's very complicated, especially something something like Tarkas. Yeah, I mean, he had everything written out because there was a lot to memorize, and he had something like nine pages that were sort of sellotaped together along. <laughs> Along just in front of his mic stand, and he's sort of reading it like a typewriter as he's, as he's going. Um, for me, it was easier just because I'd I'd been brought up on on that stuff, so I kind of I knew I didn't know how to play it, but I knew, you know it was in my head, and that's that's the most important thing for me. I always feel with um, Keith Emerson or ELP overall, I guess that the music when it originally came out, the musicians were young; they were in their early twenties. The the audience was teenagers or early twenties yeah. and these same people were listening to like, you know, Slade or T-Rex and there was this music that was complex and orchestral and classically based. It was, I almost felt that in many ways the audience weren't ready. People mm -hmm. like Keith Emerson was so far ahead of their time that yeah. it almost took a few decades before the audience was older and had experienced more of the world and yeah. listened to some classical music themselves. And um, so I think, do you know what? These guys were actually pretty damn good i mean because think about all the nme polls about you know best band of the year and it was coming through punk and everything because i'm thinking specifically of the piano concerto from works which mm -hmm. is like a masterpiece of that this guy wrote that and he was being compared with what you know a band who just picked up the guitars was doing down the road <laughs> <laughs> it must have been incredibly yeah. frustrating for for him but here you are you yourself playing with him this guy that could write music, though really he should be recognised as being a great classical composer. Yes, know? definitely. He he never had confidence in his in his own compositions. It really? Was, yeah. He come up to a new album. It's like, oh, I guess we should do. Oh, let's this is this Prokofiev piece, or maybe we can do this. Well, just Tarkas is is a is a masterpiece. Just do another one of those, you know? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. He. He wrote loads of um, pieces. In fact, we we started piecing together um, an album shortly before. Um, well, I don't know if you know this story um, of how I sort of left. I, I didn't mean to leave the band, but uh, I'd um, my manager told me about an audition with uh, Roger, and it was for a ten week tour. And he told me the dates, and I looked at the dates, and I said, oh, um, I can't do it. Um, I've actually got, there was like three or four Keith Emerson band gigs in the States during that time. So I didn't think anything more of it. Forgot it completely. Uh, probably about two days later, I had another, I had an email from Keith's manager just saying, really sorry, we're going to um, we're gonna have to pull those dates. I don't think they're selling very well. 
So I thought, this is a sign. This is a sign that I have to go and go for this audition. But this this audition that you're about to mention is Roger Waters, who actually, I believe, you weren't even that familiar with. No, not as a person. No, I, I had no idea. When my manager told me, it was like, um, Roger who? I have no idea. Um, and then he mentioned something about Comfortably Numb, which I'd honestly never heard before. I'd, I'd heard the Scissor Sisters version, the disco thing. Yeah, which is very but, different. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I think, okay, um, yeah, I can play that, I guess. Um, yeah. I, I really didn't know what I was letting myself in for at all. Um, so anyway, I went for the audition because I thought that was a sign that I should go go and do it. And then um, got the audition. And then another couple of days later, I had another email from Keith's manager saying, oh, no, we're, we're going to keep those gigs. Um, the, the gigs are back on. I'm thinking, well, I'm just committed to doing this 10-week tour now. Um, but don't worry, it's only 10 weeks. Don't worry, I'll be, you know, be back. And of course, 10 weeks turned into three months, which turned into six months, which turned into several years. Yes, it's like 17 years now. I've been doing this gig. Which is longer than most bands have ever been together. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. Um, yeah, so obviously, Keith um, had to get someone else to, to, to carry on with the Keith Emerson band. But uh, as, as one of my regrets in life i guess i mean i, I you know if I, if I could have cloned myself i would love to have continued must, that. must have been very difficult but also it because a lot of fans a lot of music music people fans who came up from that period will see like oh progressive rock elp pink floyd king crimson etc yes but in a way i've always thought that pink floyd especially when you joined the, the dark side of the moon to pink the dark side of the moon album was was actually more of a this is probably quite controversial, more of a pop album than a prog album, if you look okay. at the song structures. I right. mean, you're playing stuff like Tarkus, and you obviously you've, your experience of completely numb and stuff like that is like the Scissor Sisters. But you, when you entered the world of Roger Waters, <laughs> it's but the songs, the guitar parts are more bluesy yes. pop than prog. Yes. So, so was that a surprise to you and what you'd been experienced with Kim Emerson with more complex and technical playing than when you actually entered the world of Roger Waters? Um, I had to calm down a lot. <laughs> I did. <laughs> we just, you know, the, the tours that I was doing with Keith were kind of crazy. Um, yeah. I had a wireless system. I was running around the stage like a lunatic. We were doing these mad guitar keyboard battles halfway through. Yeah. Um, just making lots of stupid noises and... And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you're on stage with Roger Waters and we're playing Breathe. So it's like, one, two, I'm like, come on, three. It's like, come on, let's get going. You know, I had all that sort of energy and that um, yeah. adrenaline. I mean, especially for the first show I played with Roger, we had a we had a small warm-up show. Um Called Rock in Rio in front of about eighty thousand people. That was also, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which also went out live on TV as well. Oh my god! So you've got all that adrenaline, all that pent up energy, and um, we're going. 
Um, so yeah, it was it was a a learning curve for sure. And, um, as you, and as you say, so different because I watched you one of your own tracks is it's static from the Keith Emerson, um, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> which is really great. It, it's just prog fusion. It's just got everything in there. It's yeah, like a, 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 um, you know, it's like a melting pot of stuff, isn't it? So I can understand going from there to breathe. Yes, must have been quite a a culture yeah, shift. I mean, it was it was great. I, I was unfamiliar with that stuff growing up, but um, obviously as I've played it more and you really get to appreciate what it is yeah music and how much it means to people in fact um and also it's perfect for playing in arenas where it's all kind of big and echoey and stuff you know you can try and play something like Tarkas in there and it just get can get a little lost but uh this is is perfect music for um big big uh, stages it is i i saw you on the wall tour and mm -hmm. uh, on the night in at the o2 when david gilmore appeared on top of the wall it was the only night that he ah, did yes um i was there then and then it was like grown men either side of me in front of behind me all with tears in their eyes it was like because it's it was like such a powerful emotional thing um i mean it was, it was definitely a moment yeah yeah, definitely a moment. I mean, for you yourself, because you knew he was going to appear and you've yes. been playing comfortably numb for quite a while. Um what what, what was that what was that like? Um was that the first time you'd bumped into him being close to David Gilmore at that time? Uh no, I, I met him um when we started rehearsing rehearsals for the uh, Dark Side tour, actually. And he was lovely. He came up to me and introduced himself and Said hi, I'm David, and I said hi, I'm I'm your stunt double. Um, and he said something like, I can't remember exactly, it was something like, oh, you you know, it's it's pretty easy, isn't it? I said, well, <laughs> um, but he was he was lovely. He was um, he was very very friendly, and um, and obviously that day at the at the O2, um. I don't know, I was probably the only one feeling this, but what, what had happened at the beginning of the war tour was that it was mentioned that David would get up and play comfortably numb during the tour at some point. Mm -hmm. So for the first year or so, um, I all I saw was reviews saying, oh my God, this is the best, this is one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Only it was the night that Dave Gilmore was playing which I kind of took to mean if only it was the night when I wasn't playing. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's difficult. It's an ego thing. You yeah, know, yeah, of course it is. It. You can't help it. No, um, so uh, I was very happy that he finally got up and, and did that at the O2. Uh, I actually went into the audience and watched because normally I would just be on, on you know, I'd be over there. So yeah. Me and uh, Robbie, the singer. Yeah. We, we were on either side of these uh yeah these cherry pickers so we decided just to go out front we went and stood by the um um we're actually in the disabled section i think and we just thought yeah let's just watch this because this yeah. is a moment this is, yeah, a moment is. That a lot of people have been waiting for for a long long time and um yeah i mean i even i got goosebumps um 
but it was for me also it was really nice that okay he's done that now so now i'm not going to see that in reviews i'm not going to see oh if only it's the night that yeah it's well, done well, it's a pretty show just you know for what it is and it as i said it's just a sad ego thing but i couldn't help it at the time was, oh, so, totally it. totally understandable you've also because you're not you're not david gilmore you're Dave Kilminster and your obviously your your guitar style and the, uh, your background and how you came to this point is very different to Dave Gilmore, who's very much a blues based player. But equally, yeah. when 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 you what when you watch what you play with Roger Waters, you are you can tell you've you've absorbed, you've channeled some of mm-hmm. Gilmore, but you're still you. How, how well, do you find that balance? I mean, do you feel like you're tap you're like you're you've been given a master a master painting and someone said here you are, um, but don't deviate too far from the path. I mean <laughs> pretty much, yeah, yeah. Pretty much. Roger likes to think of the albums almost like uh, classical pieces. So I am essentially a classical musician, um, with you know, I haven't got the sheets in, in front of me, but I know exactly what notes and what order. And I try and get I try and play the solo as as close to the original as possible with all the little subtle nuances, all the little slides and bends and stuff. Just, you know, just so it sounds similar. I mean, I don't sound anything like him. My guitar sound isn't like David's, but I found that if I play the right notes in the right order with the right um, uh, emotion and energy, then... uh, it makes people happy. So um, I, the, the important thing is to, to keep your ego out of it. Yeah. Really. Um, I was told, in fact, when I joined the band, that was one of the... Snowy White told me two things, and one of them was leave your ego out the door. That's one of the what's kind of one of the rules, really. Yeah. You, know, you walk into the rehearsal room, you walk into the, into the arena, whatever, you leave the ego at the door. So I just, you know, I'm not thinking, oh, how would I play this? I'm thinking I'm trying to play it as close to the original as possible, but also with my own um, passion and energy and emotion, whatever. Yeah, because it must be difficult because obviously Comfortably Numb has got probably one of the best chord sequences at that pace to play a guitar solo over. So the temptation to suddenly think, right then, (laughs) <laughs> yeah Let's well, just uh, actually on the war tour we we um it, it was longer than the original uh album so i had an extra couple of rounds and it's like okay i'm just no calm down calm down so i just tried to stay as much within the dave gilmore style as possible so where does um because obviously the other the other great artist i saw you play with is stephen wilson uh, right. Which I think I was on the looking at me, in fact, down there. Yeah, there he is. Hi. Uh, <laughs> uh, and yeah, I bought. I actually bought that from the concert where I saw you. It was in. Um, it was in Bristol, and um, I think you oh, were. It was the four and a half tour, or that was when the album had just appeared. Yeah. Um, so you were Yeah. So how did you? How did you get involved with with Stephen? Because that was more probably closer to to Keith's music and yes, more complex, more prog, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Was, um, I felt very comfortable with that band. That was just so much fun. Um, I think uh, basically what happened was that Guthrie and Marco um, wanted to carry on promoting their band, the Aristocrats, 
And so Guthrie suggested me, uh, but also apparently Stephen had considered me because he's a big Pink Floyd fan. So he'd um, he'd seen a bunch of those shows. He saw the wall. Um, in fact, he was there for the wall when we when we recorded when we recorded it in Amsterdam. Um, I think we did a couple of something like four nights recording there. Um, yeah, most of the close up filming as well. Um, yeah, so we just he called me up one day out of the blue, and we went for curry and just chatted, and and it was pretty much to the got to the end of the night, and he's like, "Oh, by the way," <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was, I mean, I, I you know, I, I love his stuff, and I was I was kind of desperate to do it, but there was something in the back of my mind. I, I would um, I had a problem with my tendon in my right thumb um i've managed to sever it somehow so I, I couldn't bend my thumb at all so i couldn't hold a guitar pick so i wasn't playing um but i had an operation coming up so i'm thinking i really hope this operation works <laughs> so i can do this gig so i just said yeah let's, you know let's do it so uh and yeah pretty much about two months after the after my help uh, we were on tour went straight to mexico playing some of the most complicated stuff ever and i'm still trying to learn how to hold a pick properly because i haven't played for nine months are you uh, <laughs> would you say that you're you are self quite you're a confident player you don't like things like stage fright have never come into it i mean to most people i'm just thinking because you haven't played for a long time you've got an operation you're not quite sure if it's going to work or not you've just been had been out for a curry with mr wilson he said well we're going on tour <laughs> it's some of the most complicated music you've ever heard and you've yeah. got about two days to rehearse for it yeah i can do that I mean, yeah. did you at any point think, I'm not, should I tell him that I have some concerns here? Could you give me an easy, the easy bits for the first week? Um, <laughs> I probably know easy bits. seem to be in that situation, weirdly. Um, it just seems to happen with me. Um, I get asked to do things. I mean, when I first started writing for Guitar Techniques magazine, for example, um, I was approached by the editor. It, this music fell. Yeah. So I'm starting a starting a new um, magazine. Uh, would you like to write for it? And I thought he obviously thinks that I can read and write music. Um, but if I, you know, if I say no, then he's just going to give it to someone else. I'm like, yeah, Very sure. Let's yeah. do it. Let's see what happens. So I kind of just jumped in with both feet and taught myself how to read and write music over uh over a couple of weeks and then the first thing i had to write out no the second thing i had to write out i think was for the love of god by steve Vai. and i think i thought if i could do this then i can do anything do anything that's a case of fake it till you make it isn't it approach to, to like yeah, yeah kind of um, yeah yeah i don't know how my life keeps ending up like this but um but it does i'm constantly thrown into situations that i don't quite feel ready for but um what do you um, have you're on tour now with Roger. You're about to go, and it's. I mean, it's, this is this is not a drill. Um, I mean, how do you mentally and physically prepare for a tour of this magnitude? Do you have like a a regime of of, of some kind? Um, well, I tend to play most of the time, so I've always got my kind of playing calluses. Yeah, you need the calluses on the tips of your fingers. Um, so I'm always kind of ready to play. Um, I've been on a uh, some kind of weird diet with my wife. Mm -hmm. um, it's called truffology. Right. 
Um, yes, I don't know much about it, but there's a. But it tastes nice. Yeah. It, it, it's great. <laughs> it's really, really good. And, you know, it's nice to lose a few pounds before you go on tour because you know. You'll put them back on. Exactly. Exactly. There's free food everywhere all the time. It's just, and it's just so tempting. We and loads of nervous food. energy. So you're always snacking all the time. Yeah. 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 So it's terrible. So, yeah, just trying to. Uh, um, try and lose some weight before before the tour and make sure all the fingers the guitars pedals whatever is all is all working you um, use a your current guitar of choice it's like it's a custom telecaster isn't yeah. it yeah. yeah 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 and you've only played telecasters um over the years as well it's most guitar players seem to go through the strat or the flying v or the or the les paul but you, yeah you, you, I mean, especially with the prog background, you thought, no, the Telecaster looks the looks the one for me. I don't know what it is. There's something about it feels very comfortable. Um, when I'm when I'm stood up with a guitar around my neck, it feels very comfortable. Les Paul is very heavy. Yeah. Um, a Strat feels like it's pulling to the to the left, and I've, I don't know why. It's, it could be because it's uh, or is it pulling to the right? I don't even have a I don't even have a strap, but I think maybe because the strap button's on the top horn, yeah. so the body kind of moves that way. Mm-hmm. Um so it's the straps have never felt comfortable to me. Um telecasters just naturally feel fit my body. Um it's it's just, it's as simple as that, really. It's just um it feels it feels comfortable, um, but I've I've tried to uh, update them or to or to make them, you know, because normally if you think about Telecaster players, you're t- talking about Danny Gatton and Roy Buchanan, Buchanan, yeah, and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, sort of country players, yeah, yeah. So I kind of wanted to, you know, as much as I love country and I do play in that style when I'm um, just to have fun, but I, I wanted to be able to get all the other sounds as well. So um, this is why I went for a custom model. Um, the, the ones I have at the moment, they're called Paoletti. It's an Italian company. Um, so they have three pickups instead of the normal two. Oh, wow. And then, yeah. They have tremolos so that you can do all the Jeff Beck stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, 24 frets instead of, the standard 21 or 22 frets. 24 frets just makes sense to me as well because it's two octaves. Um, and I think they look amazing. They feel comfortable. They sound great. Um, it's something I designed with my wife during lockdown, actually. Yeah. Um, and they very kindly came came along and uh, agreed to, to build these uh, these machines for me. So uh, I really, really couldn't be happy with with everything I'm using right now. Fantastic. So uh, you're so busy, obviously on global tours and stuff. Do you have much? I mean, how do you do? You have room for your solo work? I mean, it's. Uh, I think you're, the truth will set you free was 2014, wasn't it? That came well, out. Yeah. It's almost the 10th anniversary for it next year. I... <laughs> <a> special edition. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. Oh god! Don't give my manager ideas. <laughs> um, I have been recording a new album, which is practically finished. Yeah, um, I just have the vocals to do. Um, everything else is done. It's a it's a band that I've never um, recorded with before. Um, most of it is uh, 
people that have played with Stephen Wilson actually thinking about it. That sounds um, good. Got, yeah, no, there's Marco Miniman on drums. Yeah. The slightly insane Nick Beggs on bass. Oh, yeah, brilliant player. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. Adam Holtzman on keyboards, um, who used to play with Miles Davis. So oh, fantastic. Yeah. If he's good enough for Miles Davis, he's, I think, yeah, he's, he's yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to work yeah yes uh, my friend Heather Finley did some backing vocals um, I've got some I've re- recorded some real cellos and real violins and yes everything is done everything sounds amazing and it's just up to me to to do the vocals and um, all I want is a, a, just a, a gap of time to do it I don't want to do it, yeah. I don't want to have to do it because if I if I record half of them, then I go on tour and I come back and think, oh, my voice is better now, so I'm just going to record, yeah. <laughs> record it all again. So um, so that's the plan. We'll do this tour in South America for a couple of months, uh, come back early next year and um, and finish finish that album. Uh, I just finished one of these because you talked about earlier about your ego and keeping it in check and sometimes it kind of bubbles to the surface and, you know, and what Snowy White said. I remember John Young from Life Science said um, he's the best guitarist since Hendrix um, at some point in an interview. Um, how, With such high praise, um, how do you stay grounded amongst such fine words from fine people, I must add? Um, I guess I just, I know the truth. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> My my ears um, are better than my playing will ever be, and I I hear certain other players, and I I just aspire to that. I know I'm not where I want to be yet. I'm not as good as I want to be. I'm still practicing. Um, in fact, last week I made a, a major breakthrough in um, a particular picking thing that I was yeah. that struggling with for a while. And after 47 years, I finally figured it You've out. You've sorted it. I've sorted it, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm still I'm still learning, still improving, still trying to go forward. That must be so exciting that you break through after that many that many years and you see yourself on a journey, especially because you say you're going to do a new album. When you when you break through to a new technique, you just think, oh, that will work so well for that song I was working on eight months ago. That's, yeah, the, yeah. that's the doorway yeah. into where I wanted to take it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, technique has just been a way of playing the music that's in my head. Yeah. Which, as I mentioned before, is not necessarily guitar orientated or it would even fit um, comfortably on a guitar. So um, this yeah. is I've, I've worked so hard on, on different techniques to just be able to play notes play music yeah. play things that saxophonists would play or a pian- pianist would play of course yeah um, yeah so and it is exciting it's I, I love i still love practicing i still love playing um i'm not going to be able to do any of this stuff obviously on the next tour because it doesn't no. it doesn't no happen. no and uh, when when are you off on the next st- uh, step of uh, roger's tour oh good uh what's today thursday um yeah. about a week and a half gosh yes yeah very very soon it's fine i'm sort of ready um there's all the uh all the usual mundane stuff to deal with before you go away you know make sure the car tax is uh yeah is, is not going to run out where you're while you're away yeah, yeah. silly stuff like that but um yeah apart from that i'm ready okay well if 
If people want to find out more about you, they can go to your website, DaveKilminster.com. Is that all the latest info? Uh, I wouldn't say it's latest. No, it's kind of... It's a good place to land. Yeah. I mean, I I tend to be more on... um, There's a Facebook fan page. Okay. Which has got over, I think it's over 50,000 people. Like, wow. Okay. It's crazy. I'll put a link to that on the the description when this goes out. Oh, perfect. Thank you. And and also Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram. So those those two... um, those two are the best best places to find me, I guess, at the moment. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, Dave, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great yeah. talking to you. Um, it was a lot of fun. Thank you. And um, I wish you all the best for the tour. And I look forward to your next uh, solo album. And hopefully your manager hasn't overheard us saying we could have an anniversary edition of your album from 2014. But you yeah, never know. It wouldn't be the worst thing to put them out together. No, it wouldn't, would it? There must be so many extra bits, new techniques to add to those tracks, perhaps, on the demos. (laughs) (laughs) Well, take care, Dave, and hopefully we'll catch up again in the future. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you. Well, a huge thank you to my guest, Dave Kilminster, currently with the Roger Waters band on tour. Um, And he's... Uh, isn't that a fantastic interview? What a great career so far. Um, play with some fantastic people, you know, Keith Emerson, um, obviously Stephen Wilson. There's so many, actually, so many. Uh, John Wetton and obviously Roger Waters. And don't forget that Dave also has his own solo career and um, a new album coming out. And that lineup for the band sounds absolutely stunning superb so i can't wait so check out davekimmonster.com but also the facebook page and also on instagram thank you for watching and listening please subscribe to the now spinning magazine podcast visit the website at nowspinning.co.uk also the youtube channel tons of unboxing videos and reviews and features on there as well we also have a private facebook page we are everywhere it literally is a now spinning multiverse as around all social media channels as well remember music is the healer and the doctor take care everybody keep spinning those discs and i shall see you very very soon